Proverbs chapter 3 in your Bibles. And let's look together beginning in verse 19. It says, The Lord by wisdom hath founded the earth, by understanding hath he established the heavens. By his knowledge the depths are broken up and the clouds droppeth the dew. None of this is by accident, evaporation, condensation, um, precipitation. You know, we all studied in school. So it's so amazing. It's, it's by his knowledge, his wisdom. God did this. He says, My son, let not them depart from thine eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So shall they, that is wisdom, be life unto thy soul and grace to thy neck. Then shalt thou walk in thy way safely, and thy foot shall not stumble. When thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. This is what the scripture does for you. This is what God's wisdom does. And it says, yea, yea, thou shalt lie down and thy sleep shall be sweet. Let's pray. Father, please help us tonight to appreciate, understand, embrace this truth repeated so often in your word and not to neglect it knowing that this is how we have health. The scripture says, your word says, that good health and strength and the marrow of the bones and all of this comes from living a life of wisdom and it includes this vital subject. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the challenges of loving and memorizing certain Bible texts, verses in the Bible, is that sometimes, if not oftentimes, it leads you to ignore and miss out the verses that are, are situated around those favorite texts. This chapter, of course, has Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And it applies to this because as beloved texts, I'm pretty sure about 60% of you in this room can probably quote Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lean on thine own understanding. And now you're finishing the verse in your head, right? And then to a lesser extent, the same is true for the first four verses of this chapter. It's also very familiar, very beloved. Um, let not mercy and truth forsake thee, and so on. And then again, the same is true for the verses after Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Be not wise in thine own eyes, and so forth. Memory verses, beloved texts. For tonight, I want us to take note of a promise and a doctrine that's stated toward the end of the chapter that is all too often overshadowed. And I believe over, undervalued by God's people. Something I use in counseling a lot. Verse 21, well, let's skip down to verse 23. Then shalt thou walk in thy way safely because of this wisdom. And thy foot shall not stumble. When thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. Liest down what? To go to bed. Yea, thou shalt lie down, and thy sleep shall be sweet. Now think of that statement for a moment. Your sleep, he says, it's a promise, will be sweet. Verse 23, you'll notice, talks about safety. He talks about security of, of mind and of heart so that when you lie down, you're not anxious. You're not afraid. And therefore, he says, your sleep is sweet. Or at least sweeter than it would have been. Now, this is not a verse that people quote as life verses very often. Even though this is a very familiar theme in the Word of God. Proverbs 3.5, or rather Psalm 3.5 says this, I laid me down and slept. I awaked because for the Lord sustained me. Really? 
I mean, the Lord is invested in David's sleep cycle because that's who he gives credit to. Job 11.19 says, How Thou shalt lie down, and none will make you afraid. Psalm 127, verse 2, It is vain for you to rise up early and sit up late to eat the bread of sorrows, for so He, God, giveth His beloved sleep. That's what God does. He gives you. This is a gift from God. Ecclesiastes 5.12, The sleep of a laboring man is sweet. I want you to turn ahead to Proverbs chapter 6. Just a few chapters. And look at verse 22. Again, talking about wisdom, it says, when thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou wakest, it shall talk with thee. You know, over in the book of Ezekiel, there's a remarkable, intriguing promise about the coming millennium. And by the way, let me, let me just stipulate a couple of things here. None of these promises and blessings preclude physical, physiological sleep disorders like sleep apnea or, or RLS or narcolepsy or, or whatever. And I'm not telling anyone here to unplug their machine. I don't want to be responsible for any of that. However, not counting biological, physiological issues, and not counting, obviously, you knocking back a few cappuccinos late at night, and that's what's keeping you up. Forgetting all that, God has a lot to say in His Word. I mean, I've studied this more than once, and God has a lot to say about the promise, the blessing, and the necessity of sleep. Can I just remind you of when Elijah was running and wanted to die. This is a man who had great victory, and you've heard me mention this before. Hey, take that off the screen for now, Matt, because I'm reading it all the time. So think about this for a moment. Here's a man who is depressed, discouraged. Lord, take my life. I'm not better than my father's. I mean, if I were the Lord at the time, I would have rebuked him. I said, how, how can you say that? You just, Mount Carmel, did you not see what I just did? The victory. And you're under a juniper tree and way, way, and you're afraid of one woman, Jezebel. But that's not what the Lord did. The Lord put him to sleep. He gave him sleep. Then he had ravens bring him food. And then he put him back to sleep. And then he gave him more food. That lack of sleep was a barrier to his spiritual wisdom. Yes, God has a lot to say about the promise and the blessing. I mentioned Ezekiel's vision of the coming kingdom. Let me read to you one of the blessings of the kingdom that's coming, the 1,000-year millennium. It says this, And I will make with them a covenant of peace and will cause the evil beasts to cease out of the land, at least cease being evil. And they shall dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. What an interesting promise. It's an interesting promise that highlights one of the blessings of Christ's kingdom. I mean, when I was a boy, I loved to go in the woods and camp out. Didn't you? I mean, as guys in this room, you, you know, some of you girls pitching a tent, using my dad's K-rations, a wool blanket, little metal cow chit, uh, kit. He would, 
he would give us chow kit and then we would have a lantern you know and we were really out there roughing it except of course you know those woods we were taken to with a car you could still see the lights of the city not far away and uh, you know it was more like abacoa woods or whatever you understand that these woods that Ezekiel's talking about had animals wild animals literally lions and tigers and bears oh my yeah exactly so it's not a place that is conducive to sleep put a grizzly bear in your room tonight or lion see how well you sleep so God says that in his promise I'm going to cause the evil beast to cease from the land so that you can sleep in the woods you can sleep in the woods I thought about that a lot Matter of fact, I've thought about, in light of Scripture, how intriguing it is that people will sleep in the kingdom at all, and that heaven itself is described many times as a place of rest. The New Testament word for a believer who dies is sleep. They shall dwell safely, Ezekiel says, in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. A few moments ago, I quoted from Psalm 127, Lo, he giveth. His beloved sleep. Physically speaking, sleep is a gift from God. Even before the fall of man, Adam in perfection, sinless, before the fall. The Bible says that God put Adam into a deep sleep. And when he woke up from that sleep, prime rib, amen, he had a beautiful woman. It was God himself that put his prophet to sleep. It was God himself who allowed and put David to sleep. And it is God who gives us these glorious truths. And this promise, by the way, that tells us something about God's mindset for us is you're going to be able to sleep in the woods. For lo, he giveth his beloved sleep. Now I want you to hear this carefully. It's pretty amazing when you think about it for a moment that we spend a third of our lives Life is short. We talk about that. We talked about that a lot lately, how fast the time flies, but a third of it, a little more for some of you, a third of it is spent asleep. Now, folks, obviously, after the fall, like everything else in depravity, sleep is now more problematic. People who are clinically depressed, they typically sleep way too much. They sleep all day long, and that's very unhealthy. On the other hand, people who are about to collide and about to crash into what today is called a nervous breakdown, oftentimes they aren't getting enough sleep. And they rise up early and they sit up late and they eat the bread of sorrows. One of the things I've noticed as a pastor and youth pastor for decades now is young people who always stay up late on Saturday night and party or watch late night TV, MTV or something, and they drag themselves into Sunday school and they're barely able. That lack of sleep alone, not to mention the stuff they fill their heart and their mind with all night long on Saturday night. I've noticed through the years, there's a difference between this young person and this young person. This one's been partying. He's just not ready or able, prepared is a better word, to receive the things of God. So, Lo, the Lord giveth his beloved sleep. 
The Bible says in that text, they sit up late and they eat the bread of sorrows. What does that mean? Bread is the end result of toiling. It is the end result of your, we even call it bread, amen, you got any bread? It's the end result of laboring. It's the Bible's picture of money and your hard-earned fruit for your labors. So that the picture there in the Bible is of a man constantly awake. And during those waking hours, he's eating the bread of his ambitions. It's bread, it's what he's worked for, but it's the bread of sorrows. Because that's what he's thinking about all the time. And you know what God says? That's empty. It's vanity. The word vanity means hollow. He says, I give, I give my beloved sleep. Did you know that there's different kinds of sleep? There is the kind of sleep that's forced physically on your body through alcohol or drugs or a mixture of both. That's sleep without rest. And then there's our text. In verse 24, thou shalt lie down and thy sleep shall be sweet. That's good sleep. That's spiritual sleep, if you will. Psalm 127, instead of feasting on the bread of sorrows, it says, his sleep is what? What's the next word? If you know the verse, his sleep is sweet. Again, the same exact word. It is how God describes it in his word to tell us how valuable it is, and then he also tells us how to get it, how to keep it. In all of these scriptures, and we're not going to go and just dissect all of them. You can do that tonight. I encourage you to. But in all of these scriptures, you'll notice that there's, that there's something attached to it. For example, the first one, number one, we'll call it the sleep of courage. Look at our text again. Verse 23. It says, Then thou shalt walk in thy way safely, and thy foot shall not stumble. When thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. So, a lack of fear, yea, thou shalt lie down, and thy sleep shall be sweet, is connected to good sleep. Verse 25, Be not afraid of sudden fear. What's that mean? It means like, oh, I'm afraid something's going to happen. Sudden fear. Neither of the desolation of the wicked when it cometh. For the Lord shall be thy confidence. And thou shalt keep thy foot from being taken. This is the sleep of courage. You know what the psalmist said? Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Now hear this carefully. The picture is that if you go to bed at night and you look at all the labors of your hands, all the stuff, your portfolio, your money, or lack of money even. And you think that you and you alone are the watchman of that. Another bank closed, oh man, I got... If you're the watchman, you think that you're the one, you're standing on the wall making sure that nobody takes what is yours. Nobody gets an advantage over you. Sort of wringing your hands like Ebenezer. And therefore at midnight, you're eating your bread of sorrows. It's not a bread of joy. Or gratitude, as it should be. It's your bread of sorrows. You're supposed to be sleeping peacefully during those very moments. That's what God is saying. And all of that conniving and staying up late and trying to move the chess pieces or whatever is, God says it's, it's vanity. For the believer, he says, it's empty and it's foolish. Why? Because what we're supposed to be doing and what we should be doing, that it's healthy, 
physically and spiritually, is letting God build our house, letting God keep the city, letting Him be the watchman on the wall, trusting God in the woods or wherever else, and then letting Him give you that sleep. You know, Psalm 121, He that keepeth thee shall neither slumber nor sleep. The God who loves you, who is your Father, He that keepeth thee shall neither slumber nor sleep. In other words, you're staying up late at night worrying about your work or your possessions or your house. You go to sleep when you should have been sleeping three, four hours before. Why are you doing that? Why are you staying up when you can go to sleep with courage and leave the keeping and the watching, the Bible says, to God? After all, He's going to be up all night anyway. Just close your eyes and say, Lord, why am I going to stay up all night? You're going to stay up. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. He's not sleeping while you are. I sometimes think about the Apostle Peter and I'm amazed at this scene. He's in prison now. Think of this. He's chained on both sides to, to Roman guards. He's waiting because in the morning he knows it's execution. He knows it, they know it, everybody knows it. That's why he's chained. Hours before this, James, James, one of the pillars of the church, was executed. James first, Peter next. That's what the authorities had said. So Peter knows he's next. Knowing he's helpless, knowing he cannot save his own life, he's on death row, what does he do? This is what it says in Acts 12 and verse 6. The same night when Herod would bring him forth, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Some kind of nerve. Sleeping? Yeah, in fact, as you know, if you know the story in the book of Acts, he's sleeping so soundly that the angel of the Lord, in spite of the bright light that was shining in that place, he had to come and smote him on the side. Get up. Had to wake him up. Man, those guards must have been annoyed. They're not allowed to sleep. They're required to stay up all night. Here's this man who's going to be executed in the morning. He's out like a light, sleeping like a baby. By the way, that phrase, that doesn't make, that expression never made sense to me. Babies don't sleep, amen? Sleeping like a baby, whatever. Sleeping like a pastor, that's a more accurate saying. Where did Peter get that kind of, of courage? That kind of faith that he could fall asleep. Uh, I'm going to die in the morning. I think maybe some of it came when just months before this, he was in a ship at sea and a vicious storm came up. And they believed in great fear that they were all going to die in that storm. And they noticed down in the boat is the master of the sea sound asleep. Jesus. Sleeping. In the midst of a storm. And why wouldn't Jesus be sleeping? He knows that the Father is not asleep. This is, beloved, is the sleep of courage. And I'm telling you tonight, it is the birthright of every single child of God. If, if God wants to give you sleep, He giveth His beloved sleep, because He knows you need it. He designed it. He, he created it. Then, 
Who's taking it away? Who's the enemy that's robbing you of that sleep? It is your birthright. And in fact, as we noted earlier, it is an explicit command from God to trust him in the night watches. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying, hey, just trust him tonight and go to bed. I just want you to know and be reminded that it is is your spiritual birthright. And it is the will of God. And it is what God wants. To simply trust him in those night watches so that God can give you, his beloved, the sleep that you need. Peter would later write, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. I bet he did it that night. Psalm 4.8 says this, I will lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, maketh me to dwell in safety. See the connection? The reason why I can sleep tonight is because thou, Lord, maketh me to dwell in safety. I know that God is in control. The more you trust God, the more you know that he's on his throne and you're his beloved, you're his child, the more you have the right to just go on and go to sleep. It is the sleep of courage. The second thing you'll notice, number two, that that is connected to all these verses, almost all of them, is the sleep of contentment. Here's where I want you to look on the screen. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 12. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet. Whether... He eat little or much. But the abundance of the rich will not suffer him or allow him to sleep. Whether he has a lot or a little, the sleep of a laboring man, the Bible says, is sweet. Let me read to you again that text in Ezekiel, okay? Verse 34, I'm going to read it to you. It says this. It says, in the wilderness, safely in the wilderness, and sleep in the woods, and I will make them and places round about my hill a blessing, and will cause the shower to come down in his season. There shall be showers of blessing. It is the sleep of contentment. I know the first time I read that verse about sleeping in the woods and then the rain coming down, I I thought about how the sound of rain somehow helps people sleep. They have rain machines. They used to. Now you don't need them because they have apps and they have YouTube on loops, hours, 24-hour loops, and it's just the sound, gentle sounds of rain and so forth. Here's an interesting study. Because they did a study on why in the human brain. And in this study, it said in addition to the rhythmic patterns, there is the subconscious message in rain of provision and the consistency of from the falling rain. In other words, that God is providing. That's exactly what Ezekiel says. There's a certain amount of restfulness that comes with just going to bed content. That's why he's not eating the bread of sorrows. His bread that he worked. You're content with such things as you have. Why do you suppose that that vain person that I quoted earlier, it is vain to to stay up late and eat the bread of sorrows. Why was he having a hard time getting to sleep? Well, it's because he's staying up eating the bread of sorrows. He's probably afraid. He's afraid in his lack of faith that, that God's not going to, somehow he's going to lose during that one third of his life when he's not out there, you know, making money or deals or whatever or standing guard, he's going to lose it. He's not content. I remind you in that text, the Bible says he's building, he's keeping, he's laboring, he's watching. 
so that he's busy trying to get more and more and more. That's the picture in Psalm 127. Go home and read it tonight. Well, Pastor, what's wrong with that? Well, there's nothing wrong with it if you're doing it by yourself. If you're the one who's doing the building and not God. If you know that God is the one who is building and laboring this house you're building, your home, your testimony, your Christian life. If you know that God's doing the building, you can just lay your head on your pillow and go to bed. But if it's all about you, accept the Lord, build the house, they labor in vain who build it. Now, wait a minute. Who's building this house? Except the Lord build it, they labor in vain that build it. Who's building it, the Lord or me? And the answer is yes. You do the work and God does the building. And then you trust him to that end. Pastor, how can I tell if I'm building this career, life, or if God's doing it? I can tell you one way. Do you sleep at night? Do you enjoy the sleep of contentment? Meaning, do you go to bed at night recognizing that everything that you have and everything that you are came from God and belongs to God? Psalm 4. I think it might be in the screen, verse 7. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. For thou, Lord, only makest me to dwell in safety. God put the gladness in my heart. How many believers lose sleep over something that is 100% out of their control? That, that, is, that is a fool's errand. That is a satanic lie. If you're up at night worrying about another bank closing, anything that's out of your control, oh, but pastor, the whatever it is, fill in the blank. If it's out of your control, just go to bed. You're worrying about it or thinking about it or conniving about it or reading more and more articles about it only allows the devil to rob you of something that God wants to give you. We're talking about Christians literally restless in fear over the dark possibility of losing what a child i stay up late at night one just worried about god my children worrying about my my marriage my spouse you know job confessed that he said that which i greatly feared is come upon me where does satan attack job in his fears he attacked him in the very things that he was afraid of losing you're not going to lose anything Anything, if God doesn't want you to lose it. It makes you sleep a lot better. And it sure makes your heart be a lot more at peace and rest. When you have decided that you are content with whatever God has given you and whatever he will give you in the future. Therefore, the Lord is building with you. And you know, beloved, That's why the image you get from the Psalms is of a man, the man after God's own heart, who's not burning the candle at both ends. The one who does eat the bread of sorrows, he's burning the candle at both ends. He is working and laboring and watching all hours of the night because it's his house and it's his bread and it's his city. And in his own mind, it's still not enough. Christians who are not content find it extremely difficult to be at rest, to be at rest even during the day, much less at night. 
Benjamin Franklin has a lot of famous quotes. One of them was this, the discontented man finds no easy chair. For 17 years, we lived in North Palm Beach Heights. And all of those years, that's when our boys were little, Rick and Andy, and Ben for a while. For all those years, while they were growing up, an ice cream truck would come in. I don't know if they still do, those of you who live in the Heights. And this ice cream truck would show up and play the loud music on the speakers. And it occurred to me one time that when I was in the park with, with all of them there and they were playing, that basically what the ice cream guy does is take a whole bunch of kids who are perfectly content. They're playing, they're happy, smiling, jumping around, and instantly make them discontent. Must have money. Must have ice cream. Now, it's not that big a deal when it comes to ice cream, but the world, the devil has a lot of different ice cream trucks. They play this tune and like Pavlov's dog. And it draws you away and it turns your head. It might be a for sale sign on a home that you want or wish you had, but you can't afford. Maybe it's an office with a better view. Maybe it's a little more of what you already have that God's blessed you with, but it's that discontent, that music playing in your head. I got to have more money because I need to get that ice cream. U.S. News and World Report had a fascinating poll study. I think I alluded to it a couple years ago. In this study, which blew my mind, it asked people based upon their income what they thought. So hundreds if not thousands of people were asked, at this income level, the same question as this income level. And the question was, what do you think it would take for you to say, I have fulfilled the American dream? This is the American dream. For people whose income, now this is, this is a few years ago, so their income averaged $30,000 a year. They said their answer was 65000 If I can make $65,000 a year, that's the American dream. For people who are making $100,000 a year, their answer was $250,000. If I can make $250,000 a year, I would be, that's the American dream. And it went on so that the conclusion of the entire study was that for everybody, basically, the American dream was about twice the distance away from where they were. Not there yet. So let me ask you this. Do you suppose, therefore, that the discontented people, the discontented people who make $200,000 a year sleep any better than the discontented people who make $65,000 a year? The only real conclusion to draw is that contented people sleep better no matter what they're making. There are people that are hand-to-mouth in all over this world that have sweeter sleep than the people on Jupiter Island. They sleep better than this wealthy country that we have. So there's the sleep of courage, the sleep of contentment in these scriptures. And then, of course, there's also the sleep of conscience, namely a good conscience. Isaiah 57 and verse 20 says, The wicked are like the troubled sea that cannot rest. Of course. You know, a moment ago we mentioned the words of Psalm 128. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet. 
I've thought about that a lot and how powerful that is because it's, it's, it's showing the blessing of somebody who just labors, a working person. And how true it is that people that work and do their best and try to please the Lord, who try to walk in His ways and, and eat the labors of their hands with contentment and gratitude, they're happy. They're literally the happiest people I know. And things just go well with them. Now, are they perfect? No. Are they without discouragement? No. They still have troubles and problems, and, and they're not always running around laughing at all. But man, they sleep better than most anybody. They sleep a whole lot better, for example, than celebrities socialize with their nightcaps and their pills and their cocktails and their yoga mantras. When I was youth director in East Tennessee, my pastor was friends with the family of Dolly Parton. And he watched Dolly grow up from a little girl, the, the pastor that I worked for. And he would see her at the radio station because he was a radio preacher. They were always in the same radio station. Kaz Walker and there's some big Tennessee cabal they had up there. And so from time to time, we had a big sign out front. And part of my job was to go out and change the letters on the church sign. Huge on both sides. Huge. You could see it on Magnolia Avenue from a quarter of a mile away. And he put up a lot of controversial stuff. I mean, none of it was politically correct. And a lot of times he would have me put a message up for Dolly Parton so that she would see it because she would, her husband or whatever would drive by it. And one of the songs was in reference to a song that she had written called I'm Going to Sleep with One Eye Open. And the stanza ref- that he re- referenced on the sign at the time was very popular. It said this, from now on all night long you won't have a chance to treat your mama wrong. You've been stepping, so they say, between midnight and day, so I'm going to sleep with one eye open from now on. Every stanza ends with that last line, except for the last stanza, and it said, you better sleep with one eye open from now on. It's not like nobody's getting any sleep around there, amen? And that's, that's the troubled sea. The wicked. That is the problem with a burdened, troubled conscience. The prophet Isaiah once wrote, the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, we quoted a moment ago, but it says, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. You need a clean conscience. Just go to the Lord at night. Instead of turning on late night comedy or whatever it is and feeding your mind and your heart with the darkness of this world, before, the Bible even says, don't, let not the sun go down on your wrath. Couples, you couples, the clean heart, the sleep of conscience, contentment, and courage. For lo, the Lord giveth his beloved sleep. Let me say this, I want to close. You know, I've often wondered why it is that God, in his design, I'm sure you have, in his design, made us to require a third of our lives sleeping. Because it's so much. I heard Elon Musk interviewed a couple weeks ago, and he gets four hours, and he said, I can only sleep four hours, and he's knocking back Red Bulls and all this stuff. I can, because they got so many things, you know, he's got Tesla and rockets and, and AI and all this stuff going on. I've got so much to do. I mean, that's an arrogance. That you have, the world needs you, 
to get half the sleep you need. And you know, God could have made it that we didn't need a third of our lives to sleep. We could survive without the need for any sleep at all. He could have, but He didn't. And whatever God's reasons are, one thing is is certain. Sleep is a lifelong reminder of the absolute weakness and need that we have as human beings. In other words, sleep is the most humbling thing that we do. Did you ever think about that? That amazing man and you're going to marry such a stud. Yeah, wait. Wait, yeah. It, It really is the most humbling thing we do. If you doubt that, picture the most powerful man in the world right now. The most powerful man. Picture him in your mind right now. Now picture him asleep. Eyes closed, mouth open, body still, drooling. You guys are thinking of Joe Biden. That was not my... <laughs> that, you guys are bad people in here. <laughs> Terrible. All right, picture the most fearful man. Vladimir Putin or somebody. Kim Jong-un. Picture him asleep now. You know, John Jones, UFC. He's the number one guy in UFC. He's a menace. I wouldn't want to be anywhere near him when he's angry. But when he's asleep, he's helpless. The richest man in the world. Elon or Bezos, whoever it is. For one-third of every person's life, every human being is like a child. They're like King Saul when David stood over his sleeping body, powerless, unaware, needy, and weak, and also ignorant. It's sort of a reminder tonight that it's not just the one-third of our lives that we need rest and we need the keeping of our God over us, His watch care. It's not just the hours that we close our eyes like a little child in her or His mother's arms that we're dependent upon God. That one-third is simply a reminder that we need Him all of our lives, all of the day. We're still weak. So that the entire house that we're building should be placed in the hands of His watchful care, even during the noonday hours or whenever. And even to the very day that our labors are over. Remember the child's prayer? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. It's pretty good theology. It's a whole lot better than what the world tries to do to you or the devil wants to do. So I want to say this, and and I said at the beginning of the message how often I've used this in counseling. I cannot tell you. It'd be, it would be thousands of times maybe. I know hundreds and hundreds of times. I have said to couples or to a man or a lady who are at the very end. I mean, they're at the very, very end. And they don't know how they're going to make it. And they're so discouraged or so depressed or so full of rage. How many times I've said, do this for me. Get a good meal. Go home. Don't stay up thinking about it. Don't call anybody up. Don't read books about it. Just go home and go to sleep. And tomorrow, after you've had a good night's sleep, call me. 
everything looks different. Everything looks different. Never make a decision like Judas did when you're tired and worn out. Had Judas just waited three more days? Think about that. Three more days, Judas. Had he not killed himself? He would have seen the resurrected Christ. No reason for guilt. There's a reason why the Bible says, Lo, the Lord giveth his beloved sleep. And if you're not getting it because you're allowing other things, worries, fears, greed, covetousness, discontentment, anger, bitterness, if that's robbing you of sleep, that's not God's fault. You're allowing Satan to take away something that God wants to give you. And God's people said, Amen. Father, thank you for your word. For this oft-forgotten, undervalued virtue, doctrine, truth in your word, that you created us in your great wisdom for the need, for this blessing. And Lord, inasmuch as we know all the scientific studies about rejuvenation and the brain cells and our human cells, we know all that scientifically long before those studies. You have shown us in your word that it is vital, that it is your will, and that it's wrong for us to rob ourselves of something that you want us to have. Please help us to embrace that and understand it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.